Hey guys, it's Rebecca. I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't, that we recently launched my first fragrance. I'm so proud of it. I think the smell is amazing. I created it for you, for me, and uh, it doesn't actually involve any compromises. It's vegan, sulfate and phthalate free, cruelty free. My goal was to create something that marked all your milestone moments, but that didn't compromise your and others' health. And it's environmentally friendly with sustainable packaging. So head over to my website, RebeccaMinkoff.com, and check out my first fragrance. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's Corona edition is with Martha Miller. She was the first woman named to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's as the first director of the Office of the Advocate for Small Business Capital Formation. Isn't that a mouthful? Basically leading the new office created by the SEC Small Business Advocate Act of 2016. So she's there to make sure that for anyone who's going to raise money, uh, private, or who wants to go public, that the same rules are followed for everybody. She has a wealth of resources on the website for small businesses to get educated on how to fundraise, what the rules are, and how to go about it. And so this conversation is really for those who are thinking about fundraising, who don't know, you know, how to take their first step. It's an office I didn't even know existed. So I encourage you to listen to the podcast, take notes, and more importantly, go to her site and have a successful fundraise. Take a listen. Welcome. I'm so glad to speak with you today. I was honored when your office reached out to me. So I'd love to start out with a little bit of your backstory, how you came to work, where you are now and just hear about your journey and then we'll get it. Then we'll dive in. Sounds great. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to get to chat with you today and happy to talk a little bit about what we're doing. And I think there's some wonderful intersections with the areas of passion that I know that you have both with work and outside of it. I'm Martha Miller and I um, am in a really interesting new role um, getting a chance to lead and build out a new office within a federal agency, which is not what I would have probably, if you'd ever asked me to uh, make a bet on where I saw myself in the future, I don't think I saw myself um, at any point as a financial regulator, much less as a director of an office there. But it's really, I think, a byproduct, Rebecca, of just having been curious along the path and grabbing on to the sales when winds change with both hands. I have a background in cognitive neuroscience, communication studies in French, none of which lend themselves towards any particular career path. Wound up moving to D.C. years ago and went to law school and found myself afterwards. I'm actually carrying one of your uh, the MAB bag into my first job as a lawyer and cramming it full with um, an extra set of shoes and lots of files and a laptop and thoroughly enjoyed working on the version of being a lawyer that nobody sees on TV. It's the problem-solving lawyer that works with companies and investors and helps them achieve their goals and was thoroughly enjoying work when I had a call about coming up to D.C. and building out a new office that Congress had just created within the SEC that was going to focus on access to capital for businesses as they grew in scale. And it was just such a great fit for what I love so much about 
work and personal passions. And so I find myself now um, back in D.C. and having the opportunity to really work on some of the pressing issues that are facing businesses and investors as they are looking to build companies. Um, and with that, I come with a lovely disclaimer now that I'm in the government, something that I didn't come with previously. It's pretty intuitive, but things I say are attributed to me, not necessarily the entire agency, um, but I love I have to get that one in for our general counsel's office. No problem. Fully understand that. So when most people hear SEC, you know, I always think of like the trading and the stock market and, you know, companies that are regulated. So what is this new office within it? And, you know, how and why was it created? Because it's such a different offshoot from us normal people, non, non-government workers, you know, think about when we hear the, those words. Yeah, people really do associate the SEC with our public markets and initial public offerings. And they don't think about the fact that the same group that writes the rules for how you raise capital in the public context also writes the rules for how you go about raising your seed or angel or crowdfunding rounds. Um, And so it's the same rule book. It's just whether or not you are public or private, you have to work within certain different rules. And so very much so we are active in making sure that the toolkit works well for you to raise capital because no company starts out public. You don't start out really big. You start out and incrementally scale. We certainly, it's a different area that most people just don't have a lot of visibility into, Rebecca. And so it's a, it's a very timely area to be working in. And it's one that I think has just such potential for impact on so many different people. I think especially right now, so many people, especially women-owned businesses, you know, whether they were mid-raise or about to raise, suddenly felt like, oh shit, what do I do now? (laughs) So what are you seeing with regards to this and, and what can companies kind of do to be smarter and still get access to capital, still raise money and, and make sure that, you know, you know, I don't see necessarily a deadline here of when things are going to go back to whatever normal is, but you know, how do you keep things and the momentum going? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the most important thing starting out is whether you are actively looking for capital or know that you're going to, you know, bootstrap. And then at some point in the future, you may want to raise capital that could help you with a certain growth objective. I think it is absolutely critical. And the number one thing that companies need to focus on is understanding what your options are and not settling for the first one that you learn about, but really figuring out what is a good fit for your particular company. So looking at what stage are you? Um, what industry are you in? What's your revenue potential? Are you the type of company that attracts angel investors or venture investors? Are you the type of company that's really a better fit for debt financing? Do you have collateral? Um, but really looking at all of the variables and starting with a blank slate before you narrowly focus in on one type of capital, because I think that that's the most important piece, Rebecca for companies to understand that there are a lot of different options and it's important to educate ourselves on what those are and to know how to use the different tools in the toolkit. And that's going to be a big differentiator for companies that come out of this crisis um, and that have been scrappy. They figured out a way to pivot and to shift, um, but to also grow through it and to have a strategy for how they build their company and continue long-term once we are ultimately moving past this current very strange environment that we all find ourselves in. I think that's such great advice. So when the when the department was created, what went through your mind when they reached out to you and how did you sort of go about building it? 
So the candid, the candid advice, not advice, but the candid answer, Rebecca, is that I actually screened the call because I thought like, this is spam. I'm just working. I'm getting <laughs> things done. I don't know what this call is, um, but I'm going to let this call that looks like a government number run, roll to voicemail. And I'll figure out what that was later. Um, but it actually took me a little bit to respond because I loved what I was doing and I was so deep in it that I wasn't looking for a different job. And when we started talking about the options with this and the fact that it was a blank slate. I don't know of, I've, I've really actually haven't met anybody that's had the opportunity to go in and build out from scratch an entire office in the government that happens to be focused on something that is completely nonpartisan and has every potential to really impact so many lives. As I sat there and looked at all of the variables with it, I got so excited that I realized this was something that you just, you don't plan for something like that to come along. But when you have an opportunity like that, you figure out how to shuffle life and flip it upside down a little bit to make it work. And it has been wonderful. Have an incredible team that is absolutely um, I, I would put them up against any team in the private sector. And um, I think that they could run circles around just about anybody, but it has been a wonderful experience, but totally not one that I planned. Wow. I, I feel like when you're given a blank slate, like recently, I, I don't know why I was doing this. It helps you fall asleep at night when I contemplate new business ideas. Maybe, maybe, yeah. they, maybe they seem so daunting. I, I go unconscious, but when you sort of start with a new slate, like what was your first step? to creating the office, to, you know, knowing what your plan was, like, how did, how did you do that? Well, I think it sounds like you don't sleep as very much like I do just from, just from that statement of sitting in bed and thinking about this. When I first started prepping for it and I realized that this was going somewhere, I sat down, I was like, okay, where do you even start? Are there any, has anybody written about how to build out an office within the government? And I realized what had been written about it was not at all applicable to how I personally thought about it and would approach the process. And so instead I said, you know what, I'm going to completely start from an area that's not what anybody would probably advise me to do in the government, but I'm going to do what I know, which is how would I advise a startup to go about the process? So I sat down and I built out actually a business plan for, you know, for better or for worse, whatever you think about business plans, that's where I needed to start of saying, okay, what resources do we need? What are we going to do? What's our minimum viable product? How are we going to scale and incrementally adapt that? You know, what mistakes are we willing to make along the way to figure out if that's the right product market fit? And I really sat there and looked at, I mean, I put together what are our KPIs going to be and really thought about it like a business. And then I did the kind of crazy thing, which was I decided to publish the business plan on our website to give people a sense of what we were going to be doing because we were brand new. There hasn't been a brand new government office like this in a really long time. So I just decided to make my own path for it and to just really borrow from how so many startups have found success in the private sector. Most people, how would they know that this even exists within the government, like outside of, you know, you being on the podcast today, like I was surprised that this even existed. So where yeah. do you where do you find people? How do women know to come to you or your office and take advantage of everything you guys have to offer? Yeah, so we do a lot of outreach. And one of the things that's absolutely critical to our office is making sure that we're creating an inclusive environment and that we're hearing from a lot of different people. There's plenty of people that keep up with things that are happening um, in D.C. and they know what developments are happening. They know when there's a new team. But there's a whole lot more that are out running businesses and building companies, and they're not paying attention to what's happening on the policymaking front. So we've been really intentional about trying to go out and proactively bring in 
new voices, new perspectives, and engage. And we also have to explain who in the world we are. We have a really long title. Uh, Congress named our office, and they're not known for short, catchy titles. Branding is not one of the things they were thinking about. So our office is called the Office of the Advocate for Small Business Capital Formation, which just doesn't roll off the tongue. And it also doesn't really tell you what we do. Um, But I like to analogize us to really, we're kind of like within a government agency, like a product development team in the government. So we go out, we identify market needs, we start vetting them, we get really good feedback, we try to test it with a lot of different groups. And then we work with our product engineers, so to speak. So the rule writing teams internally, the commissioners who ultimately adopt rules, Congress who can actually write new laws, and we try to make sure that we're designing better product market fit so that the tools by which companies raise capital for investors actually work really well. Um, and that is a process that requires us to do a lot of reaching out and talking about things not the way that the government is used to talking about it, um, nor the way that lawyers like to talk about things by using regulatory citations interspersed in the middle of a sentence and talking about it. Are you going to do a 506B or a 506C offering? And I think every founder is like, can I talk about it on Twitter? That's my question for you. <laughs> um, and so we try to really take a different approach and one that builds on um, a very intentional degree of inclusivity and bringing in a lot of different perspectives. So to the, to the direct question for those who are wondering, okay, how do I actually talk to your office and how do I engage and share with you my perspectives on what works and what doesn't work with capital raising? Uh, we're really accessible. We have a webpage, um, which is sec.gov slash OASB, which is our office acronym internally. Um, and you can also Google it and you'll find us um, if you look in, in a search engine for us. Um, you can also email smallbusiness at sec.gov and a member of our team We'll get back to you. We constantly are meeting with people virtually. We were actually doing a lot of virtual meetings before we moved into the virtual environment. Um, and when we resume in-person meetings, those, um, of course, are absolutely on the table. So we are we welcome people to reach out to us. Um, and we also aren't just sitting around waiting for somebody to find out that we exist before they learn what resources and tools are available. That's awesome. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So I'd love to get maybe personal, um, not personal in your personal life, but what has been a challenge, whether it's your career or, or starting this new division that was unexpected and how did you sort of either get over it or not, or it's something you're still working through? You know, I think that one of the things that was really unexpected for me on a personal note, and this is just what jumps into mind, is I have had to get really comfortable working in ambiguity and also knowing that my job is not necessarily to have the right answers, but to make sure that we collectively come to the right answer. And I think that there's a lot of pressure that depending on your level of being an overachiever, which I can just go ahead and check that box. It's really easy to put yourself in the category of I shouldn't speak up or I shouldn't do something or I shouldn't take on an opportunity if I don't have every single answer and a clear path mapped out. And that just isn't how life works. And if I sat around and I waited for everything to be perfectly clear and mapped out and I had certainty, it would be a really boring life. I would have a really boring job. Um, And so I think that that's for me has been overcoming some of my own personality traits and being willing to be somewhat vulnerable in the path and recognizing that I will make mistakes, but that I'm okay with them as long as I make them in good faith. And I know there's a path to correct. You know, there's this idea, at least when it comes to the, you know, the government is sometimes an agency is hard to navigate. And it's sort of like, of course, there's so many companies that should benefit from the government's help. But then it's like going about it can be like, even for a business owner, getting our PPP loan, you know, was daunting. And four people had to be all over it all day long for several days. So I think, yeah, definitely as a small business, I think, uh, knowing that your office exists is awesome and, and hearing that it hasn't been the easiest to just, you know, start something new, which all business owners can relate to has also been somewhat refreshing to hear just because you, you went into a territory that was not necessarily what you were trained to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's been really, but I think that those are the territories that when you actually do go into something and you can probably, I mean, as a founder and as somebody who's also gone on to, you know, be instrumental with the female founders collective and a number of other projects that you've worked on, it's when you venture into something that's a little bit unknown that you have the greatest opportunity for reward and impact. And if you just stick with the known, the impact is going to be very predictable and small. And so that's where I, I think that being willing to venture into the unknown has been such a wonderful thing. And it's been a really positive, I think, culture shift opportunity for others at the SEC to see, you know, we're going to host an event and we're going to take Q&A live unfiltered. And if somebody calls in and has really critical feedback, that's okay. And we can vet that live and I can hear it live and acknowledge that everything's not perfect. And that has been I think a wonderfully refreshing thing to get to be a part of. And I think it has also engendered a lot of support for our office and our team's approach. If you were to say, you know, I have this really key advice for small businesses right now with it being uncertain, not to put you on the spot, what are like five things that these companies can do or resources that they might not know of to take advantage of that you think could be transformative within your office or other, even other, you know, governmental agencies that people will be like, what, this exists. This is amazing. Yes. So, okay. I have a couple of ideas. So one of them is to stop underestimating the power of your individual voice and to realize that when we go out and we are asking for feedback on whether it is you know, do these crowdfunding rules make sense? And can you raise the amount of money that you need to actually make a difference for your company? Or does the tool 
not allow you to do that. And so you don't even go down that path. Actually taking the time to send in an email, it doesn't have to be a long lawyerly letter, just something that shares your perspective makes a huge impact because we actually do read and take into consideration every single bit of feedback. And I think that there's a misperception that you have to be really big or you have to be really well established or have to have some clout. And so one would be taking that mantle off and recognizing that we want to hear from you. And when we say we're asking for your feedback, we really actually mean it and we're going to take it into consideration. So that's that's the first one. And that's to engage. And if you have questions about how to engage, we actually put out a video um, and it's linked on our offices page on how to actually comment and participate in the rulemaking process. And it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be time consuming. Um, so that's the first thing. I think something else, Rebecca, is to educate yourself. There are so many resources out there um, and so many wonderful organizations that are trying to make sure that founders of all stripes have access to the toolkit. Not every single company is going to be a great fit to raise capital from investors. That's just the reality of it. But there are a lot more that could benefit from understanding what resources are available and that just don't know what those tools are. And so I would look at the different resources that are accessible. We have some on our website. There are plenty of other really great ones. We're actually working to recalibrate a lot of our tools to make them more accessible. Right now, they're they're written as though you have this inside baseball glossary of terminology. Um, and that's just the way that we've typically communicated. We're trying to take a different approach with that. But really educating yourself would be the second thing. And then I think the third piece that I would say right now is if this is a time when business is slow and you're trying to figure out what do you do when business does ramp back up, I think this is a great opportunity to really clean up your cap table, clean up your financials, make sure that everything is in really good order and that you can answer questions that somebody would have if they look at things about your company so that you're prepared if you do want to go out and seek capital, whether that is from a bank and they're going to want to do their own diligence on you or from an investor who's going to want to come in and look at information about your company, that you're ready for it and that you're ready to seize upon that momentum when that comes. And this is the time I think that there is, you know, for better or for worse, more time on your hands. And I would use that as an opportunity. So that's three. That's three. That's fine. We can, we can, we can give it at three. <laughs> yes. I, I just threw the number five out there. It was not, it was not tied to anything, but I think you bring up a good point, which is a couple things. Some companies don't need to raise money, but think they do because they see the cover of Inc. and Fast Company and go, oh, the only way I can have a business is if I raise money. And two, when they go to raise money, it is a hard process just to figure out like, what does your deck look like? What does it need to contain? You know, how do you go into these meetings? So I think it's really valuable. You know, not everyone can be part of a Y Combinator or a cohort, you know, to raise money. And if you don't know what those words means, look them up. Not yeah. you. I know you know what that means. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, the more education that can be given to these founders and small businesses is, is it really makes or break whether you receive funding at all. It absolutely does. And I think to that point, when you're talking about your deck and figuring out how to prepare yourself, particularly if you're venturing into the unknown, and there's, there's plenty of data out there, and you're, I'm sure, very familiar with it, Rebecca, that shows that women don't feel quite as comfortable pitching for capital as men do, statistically speaking, or they undersell things. I think recognizing how to talk about your company in a way that is compelling, while also being very real and transparent about here are the actual risks, um, not, not downplaying those as though you don't think there's any potential downside to your company or your industry or your product, but 
coming up with a way and equipping yourself with the personal tools that you need to speak really confidently about why you built that company in the first place and why you think it is incredible. You've sacrificed enough sleep um, and plenty of other things to build that company. Equipping yourself with the confidence to really talk about that company, I think is so important. And it's something that's an area for improvement for so many founders. For sure. So what, so where, so tell me again, before we close, where can women, because that's a majority of my listeners, where can women find your website, you know, access this important, incredible information and any last thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is at sec.gov slash OASB. Um, or you can email smallbusiness at sec.gov. We've also got an office phone number that's on our website. There's a lot of different ways you can reach out to us. And I encourage you to reach out um, and share your perspective. If you've got something that you think we could be doing or an area of the market that you're wondering, if we do we even know what's happening there, would love to know more because we really do want to engage with more people. And I just appreciate, Rebecca, what you do for you know, female founders and entrepreneurs, whether it's those who already have a company and they're trying to figure out what to do next with it, or those that are sitting in one role and wondering and dreaming about the company that they're debating whether or not they actually go forward and build. I think it's really powerful to tell stories and to bring breadth of perspective to light. And so I just appreciate you hosting this podcast, inviting me to be a guest on it and getting to meet you virtually. I'm hopeful that at some point in the future, we can actually meet in person when we resume doing that. I mean, I would love that. Uh, I I can't in person meetings are going to be something I ask for all the time after the tsunami of zoom slash phone calls that I, that I do. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to have to hold myself back from starting every meeting with a hug because I just feel so detached from people right now. And as a people person, it's been very challenging to not really get to engage. So I'm, I am with you on being excited about resuming in-person meetings. A hundred percent. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great to speak to you and I will definitely be following up with other things, um, that you sparked ideas of, but, um, thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing for small businesses for uh, the United States. Wonderful. Right back at you. Thank you, Rebecca.